now I'm feeling really excited. They just sang that song and um, he's Lord of all through the storm. And it's a declaration, no matter what we're facing in our lives, he is Lord of all. Even in the storm, no matter how big the storm is, he's Lord of all. And we can declare it tonight. We can stand even on top of the storm. And it won't affect us because he's Lord of it. house lights up a fraction I think then I can see faces because there's people hiding over the back thanks Norm so this morning Greg spoke about what is truth and he was at one point he mentioned are we ready and how ready are we are we living a life of readiness And the reason when Greg asked me if I'd speak, and it was like, I said yes, and then I'm thinking, what was I thinking? (laughs) The reason, the thing that I had in my heart was about us being ready, our readiness for whatever, whatever comes that we're ready. And so tonight, I want to speak about faith. What is it? What's faith? Because in order to be ready for him, we need it, don't we? We absolutely need it. So, I tried to put it in one sentence, what faith is. So, faith takes us from one reality. If you want to put that next slide up, Michael. Faith takes us from one reality to another, from hearing his word to it becoming a living reality in us. Okay, faith takes us from one reality to another, from hearing his word to it becoming a living reality in us. Hebrews 11.1, 1, really to say what is faith, you can't help but go to that verse, because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. It's a substance It's a real thing. It's a tangible thing to us. And conviction, when I have a conviction about something, it's not just that I sort of know it. It's that I know that I know that I know. It is that real in me that it moves me. It moves me to do something. Elijah on Mount Carmel, for those... um, Hopefully you know the story. He was up on the mountain with the prophets of Baal and there was these altars and and God sent fire down. But after that, Elijah went and got on his knees. In fact, he crouched on the ground and he started praying because the land hadn't had rain for three years. It was in drought. And so he gets down. He's on top of this mountain. He gets down on the ground and starts praying. You see, he sees. He can already see. In fact, it says before that, 
he heard the rain. He heard it. Now, there hadn't been rain for three years, but he already heard it by faith. And then when he's crouching on the ground, he's already seeing it. He can see the cloud that's coming, and yet it's a clear blue sky. It has to be a clear blue sky because it says there wasn't a cloud in the sky. Must have been a beautiful day. (laughs) But he says to the servant, go, go and see. Go and see if there's a cloud. And he sends him seven times. Imagine that servant. He's probably like, what? What? Look, there's nothing. It's just a beautiful day. But seven times. And on the seventh time, there's this cloud. Yeah. Not a cloud like we see, like I see from my office when it's coming from the south and it's black and it's... It was the size of a man's hand, but it was enough. That was enough for Elijah. That's all he needed. He knew that cloud was going to have rain in it when it came. And he got ready to run and tell the king to get down the mountain real quick. The king was off having a party somewhere up there. Must have been a big mountain. (laughs) Okay. Hebrews 11.8 Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without it, it's impossible, okay? Impossible to please God. He who comes to God must, number one, believe that he exists. Bottom line, believe that he exists. Number two, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, this thing of him existing, the writer of Hebrews was actually writing to Christians. So why was that? Why why would he do that? You know, Christians already know he exists. But I tell you what, when you're out on a limb in faith, when you are stepping into the unknown because God has spoken something to you here and you can see it by faith over there, and you're in the middle, in the unknown, a bit like that guy in between the two, you better believe that he exists. I'm telling you, you better believe it because your faith is going to be tested and tested and you're going to question in those moments and it's no good coming to some sort of conclusion that maybe he doesn't exist. You can't waver on it. Okay? You cannot waver. James 1, 6 to 8 has something to say about this. He says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Ooh. No reward. If I, I need to diligently seek him so I get the reward, but if I'm wavering, no reward. Ooh, it's pretty harsh words. It's James 1, 6 to 8. So tonight, in order for us to understand what faith is, I just want to look for a moment at what faith isn't. So come with me to Matthew 6. Verse 27 to 34. And who of you, 
by being worried can add a single hour to his life. Anyone able to do that? Anyone able to add a single hour to your life? (laughs) Even the next breath, he holds that in his hands. Yeah. And why are you worried about clothing? And then it goes on to say a bit more about that. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Throughout that passage, and I haven't got it all there, but it actually Jesus says three times, don't worry. Don't worry about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. Don't worry about tomorrow. You don't need to worry. And then in the middle of it, he says, you of little faith. Isn't that great? So worry equals little faith. Come with me to Matthew 14, 28 to 31. Now the lead into this is Jesus has sent his disciples out on a boat. And he's off dismissing the crowd. They'd just come from this amazing day. Jesus had provided it was the five loaves, two fish. That whole thing had happened and it had all been amazing. And and then he's dismissing the crowd. And the disciples go out on a boat, on the boat. And Jesus goes up the mountain to pray. And then he notices the waves are getting up and it's getting pretty choppy out there and it's not so nice. And he goes out walking on the water, goes out to them. And they freak out, right? They think he's a ghost. And he says, don't be afraid, take courage, it's me. And then Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I was thinking about this. Here's Jesus. He's out like, we're not talking about glorified Jesus. He's not in his glorified state. This is Jesus. This is like you and me, flesh. Okay? He's walking on water. Right? Now, Peter sees this. He knows that. Jesus is a man right now. Okay? There might be other things about him that are pretty amazing, but he's a man. But Peter sees it. He sees Jesus walking on water and in that moment he realizes he could do that. He could actually do that. Jesus is modeling faith right now. And Peter, in that moment, he has faith. I mean, who gets out of a boat? You know, in the middle of a choppy sea, it's not calm or anything. Who gets out anyway? I need a, I need a life raft. I'm not getting out. But Peter sees something, but then he looks at the circumstance again. He looks at the reality of what the water's like, and he sinks. But he did walk on water. Yeah, but even so, 
Jesus said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So doubt equals little faith. Come with me to Matthew 8, 23 to 27. Another case of a boat. These boats. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. And in my Bible it said furious, okay? So it's a furious storm on the sea. So that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. I don't know how, but he was. I mean, imagine the waves are coming over. He must be getting wet. I mean, how big are those boats anyway? He's got to be getting wet. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this? You see, at this point, they were still getting to know who he was. They had questions. And then he'd go and do something like this, and it's like, who is this guy? Like, who is he? That he can do that. But there's something else that Jesus is showing them in that boat, but they don't realize it. You see, he was completely at rest. He was in complete freedom in that boat because he knew who was in control. It was his father. He didn't have to worry about anything. He just was asleep. And he was actually showing, I believe, showing his disciples what faith looked like in the middle of a storm. And when you guys had that song last, it was like I was just, I wanted to laugh because, you know, he is Lord of all in the storm. He's Lord. And if you want to know what freedom looks like, there it is. Jesus asleep in the middle of the storm. That's what freedom looks like. So fear, it says, why are you afraid, you man of little faith? Fear equals little faith. You know what I have to say after all this? Why didn't someone check the weather forecast? (laughs) It's like all these storms. Like, Well, you know, we're all right today. We can just look on our phone. In fact, Noah at the moment, all this week since Monday night, because it was going to snow Monday night. Every day he's been looking at the weather forecast and he's been on my phone and he's, it's the biggest thing out at the moment and how many degrees it is and, you know, whether it's windy. The other morning he said to me, it's, Nanny, it's windy. I said, no, it's not. Look at the leaves on the trees. Nothing's moving out there. He said, no, it's windy. Cause I've checked on here and it said, <laughs> anyway, moving on. So I think from just those three examples, and I found five in Scripture, I think it makes it really clear that little faith 
um, ain't going to cut it. Pretty much means nothing if you've got little faith. You've got no faith. Mm. In another account, it actually when you know, the famous um, scripture about the mustard seed, he actually had told them off again about little faith. And then he said, if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, go from here to there, and nothing will be impossible to you. Wow, size of a mustard seed. You know how tiny that is? That's tiny. All right. So now we have a pretty good idea what faith isn't. I'd like to look at a story about what faith really is. So we'll turn to, actually, it's earlier in Matthew 8. Okay. It's a story about great faith in verse 5. And it's in stark contrast to what happens later, which I just told you about. Now, this account would have happened quite, you know, it could have even happened the same day, I don't know, or within that week or whatever it was, ahead of the storm. And in verse 5 it says, And when Jesus entered um, Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say to, say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. You see, faith, as I said before, takes us from one reality to another, from hearing his word to it becoming a living reality in us. The centurion caught something. He understood the authority, the structure of authority, and he knew that Jesus had that authority that he could just speak. He didn't need to come to his house. He could just say the word and it was done. He absolutely believed it. Now, Abraham, like the centurion, had great faith. And we all know about Abraham. And Abraham's story, how it took 25 years from the time that God made a promise to him that he was going to have a son to the fulfillment of that promise. I don't know why it was 25 years. I mean, 25 years. And Abraham didn't even have Paul's writings to look at to help encourage him. He didn't, he didn't have it. all he might have had. So one faith story maybe that he had was Noah building the ark. But other than that, he, he just didn't have all this other stuff to encourage him. So the faith he had was raw and real and he just believed God for 25 years until he saw that promise. And then, when he actually received Isaac as the promise, God challenges him again, doesn't he, to lay him down. 
after all that, this one and only son that was actually the one that God was going to fulfill the promise through and he had to lay him down. And in James it says, because of Abraham's actions, his faith was made complete. So maybe it took all that time for God to perfect his faith, to develop his faith, and for his faith to be complete. In Romans 4, let's have a look. Romans 4, 18 to 22. In hope against hope, he believed. This is Abraham. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, because he was about a 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet... With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. He wasn't going to miss out on his earthly reward of a son, That's pretty, that's a lot of perseverance. That's a lot of faith to wait that long. And he wasn't going to miss out on it. But because of receiving the earthly reward and believing for that, he also received a heavenly reward. And so faith, in this instance, equals righteousness. Righteousness in his eternal bank account, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, what made Noah go build a ha- an ark for 120 years when, from my understanding, it had never rained on the earth? And he's building a boat for when it rains for 120 years. And what about Joseph when he gets rejected by his brothers and he gets thrown in a pit? And then he gets sold as a slave and he ends up in prison in Egypt. And all he has are the two dreams that God had given him. That's all he had to go on. And yet he kept believing. And he had a right heart position. You see it from the things that happened in his life and how God kept um, promoting him wherever he was, even in prison. And what made David run to Goliath? Like who runs to a giant, okay, on a battlefield? I don't think so. This guy, he not only runs to Goliath, he said, I come to you in the name of God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, and he has given you into my hands today. I mean, that is like bolshy stuff, isn't it? That's, yeah. He totally knew who his God was or is, and therefore he knew who he was. And what about Joshua and Caleb? Two guys out of 12. They go into the land, check it out. They come back, and they say, it's ready for us. 
is ready for us to take it. They were ready. They had the faith to believe. It says they were of another spirit. They knew who he was. And their faith propelled them to step into the unknown, to step into the living reality of what he had already revealed to them. He had revealed it to them. They knew. They knew that God would act on their faith when they stepped out. Joshua going into the land, God said, be bold um, and of good courage, strong and of good courage, wasn't it? Yeah. But they knew their God. I'm just going to have to have a drink of water. This week, um, there, I've got an example of this, of stepping out in faith. And um, over the last month, in fact, since the door of hope <laughs> sermon that Sandra brought, a whole lot of things have happened in our family. It's just been like, amazing watching it all work out. And so this week, Linda, who is Roma, my grandson's other nana, has taken off to um, Nashville on Tuesday. Well, she she's left her job of eight years, right? She's stepping out of her life for three months to be there for my daughter and grandson. And um, anyway, the day before she leaves, through a contact, she ends up having a job interview like, this is just out of the blue. She wasn't looking for a job yet. She's going away. She's leaving the country. She goes for the interview the day before she leaves, gets the job on the spot, gets the job. They're going to wait three months for her. Like, crazy, but exciting. She'd stepped out in faith. And God had honoured that faith. He's honoured that faith and it's so exciting to see what he's doing. As I said at the beginning, I have a sense of urgency that we need to be ready. We need to be ready. We need to develop this thing called faith. It's not an optional extra. We all need to have it for ourselves. If I was to say to you, that you were going to war in three months' time and I was to come and give you your kit and your army fatigues and everything that you need because you were, you know, three months isn't long and you went home, you took your kit, you went home and you did nothing, nothing. Three months go by, time to go to war. What are you going to do then? No preparation. Mm. What you need is boot camp. <laughs> Who likes boot camp? Anything they call boot camp is like, no, thank you. <laughs> I've got um, two sons and um, my eldest son, he's ex-army and he's now in the police in Glasgow and I um, was texting my daughter-in-law this morning and she's hardly seen him because the Commonwealth Games and it's all go, go. And my youngest son, he's at Burnham in the army. Now both of them 
had to go through boot camp. Okay? You can't, you can't shortcut it. You have to go through it. And it's extreme. It tests everything. It tests your physical fitness, your stamina, your endurance, everything to push through, to get, get through it. And even though when you're at boot camp, you work together, you have to learn to work together, you actually still have to develop your own fitness. You've got to get through yourself. You can't just rely on anyone else to get you through. You won't pass boot camp if you don't actually work and develop your own um, strength and everything that you need. If I was to say this week, I was sat in my office, Greg went off to the gym, doing his workout, great, that's great, I'm feeling really good now, he's done his workout. And that Jeremy, he went and he did all those laps in the pool and and my shoulder is so much better, you know, it's just so much better. It ain't going to work, is it? It just won't work, because... I've got to exercise for myself. There's no other way. I've got to exercise. If I want my shoulder to get better, I've got to exercise myself. Now, as far as faith goes, there are times we need each other, right? There are times we need someone else's faith to pray through a situation because we haven't quite got to that measure of faith yet. So we do need each other. But... We still need to be developing it for ourselves. We need to have this faith developed in us. What if I was to say to you that Jesus is returning in three months' time? Okay, get that out in the airwaves. No. Hypothetically, if he was returning in three months' time, and all of you have a measure of faith, right? Romans 12.3 says you all have a measure of faith. What are you going to do with that faith now? Oh, it's just too hard. I'm just going to sit here. Um, I'm going to bury that faith, Master, because it's too scary. I can't do it. I'll bury it. I just can't do anything. James has very strong words on what that would look like. He says, faith without works or faith without action is dead. Dead faith. And you know how you have dead faith? It's real easy to have dead faith. All you have to do is nothing. Absolutely nothing. Faith must have action. Remember, faith takes us from one reality into another. It moves us, it propels us into the living reality of what he's spoken. James also says, it's, oh, I don't know where he gets this from, but anyway. <laughs> he said, count it pure joy when you go through trials. Now, I'm sorry, but pure joy and trials in the same sentence, 
What was he thinking? Really? Joy. Not even joy. Pure joy. Because when we go through trials, he is, oh, get this right, you know, the trial of our faith is producing perseverance in us. And perseverance has to have its perfect work in us. That's what it says. It must have its perfect work. So trials are good. Did you know that? Yeah? Seriously, I have discovered they are good because that's where my faith is going to grow. So now I can tell you from personal experience, I embrace the trials. That might sound totally counter whatever to what you are used to hearing but I tell you what if you embrace the trials like I found myself suddenly in a trial and I think what am I going to do about this now and I think wow this is a golden opportunity I may never go this way again I can learn through this now I want to be developed now I don't want to put it off because you don't want to go through the pain again. <laughs> Who wants to go through that again? Eek. Persistence. The persistent widow. You know the story? She kept knocking on the door. She wouldn't give up. She kept knocking till she got an answer. And Jesus says, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. And knock and keep on knocking. He doesn't just say ask. Ask, you know, ask once, it's it. You know, this this woman, this persistent widow, she was persistent. She kept asking because she knew. She wasn't asking for the wrong thing. She knew what she needed to ask for, and that is key, to know that you know what what you should be asking for. And then go for it. Be persistent. Develop your faith in the process. <laughs> yeah. Endurance. Run the race with endurance, Hebrews 12. We're to run that race with endurance. But the key in it is fixing our eyes on him. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith as we run the race. So God gives us a measure of faith and every now and then he checks in on it to see how we're doing. Yeah, because you know what? He's looking for faith in the earth. He's looking for faith in you and me. He was looking for it when he walked the earth and he's looking for it when he returns. And he will reward us for our faith. That's a pretty good incentive, isn't it? A few rewards along the way. There are earthly rewards to be had, but there are also eternal rewards to be had as well. So as I sort of get to finishing here, what are we doing with what we're hearing? What are we doing with what we heard Greg speak about this morning or Clay speak about the other week or or what God's speaking to us in here during the week. What are we doing with it? Because if we do nothing with it, then it's just dead. 
dead faith? Or do we want to develop it and take this and what he's saying and allow it to become a living reality in us? Imagine what it would look like if we actually took everything in here and totally believed it. Just imagine. Like, wouldn't it be amazing? Like, right now, if suddenly you'd all had this faith pull, you you just took this and absolutely believed it. And I said to Sam, this week, you're going to pray for a friend and they're going to be completely healed. And surely, you're going to speak to a mountain and it's going to move from here to there and nothing will be impossible to you. I mean, imagine. Hey, imagine that. Or I say to Katie, isn't it, Kate? This week, God's going to provide the exact amount of money you need for that situation. And you took it and believed it, just like that. Imagine that. How cool would it be if we all actually believed what he says in here? How much of this do we really take and mix with faith and belief? So he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. What's diligently seeking him? What does that look like? Now, I used to believe it was just getting up in the morning and praying and reading his word and that's it. Yeah, tick, tick, done. But now I absolutely believe that seeking him diligently is a lifestyle. It's, it's a way of being It's a way of abiding in him, no matter what you're going through in your day, that in moments of your day, and I'm not talking about, oh, you've got to think about him every moment, every minute that goes by, that's not it. When you abide in him, that in the moments of your day, your eyes are turned to him, or in a challenge, your first place that you turn is to him. And he will reward us for this. He will reward us for our faith. And I just want to finish with this final thing, and that is when God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 15. He said to him, I am your very great reward. God had made all this promise, this amazing stuff to Abraham, but then he says, I am your very great reward. The reward of our faith is him. It's him.